All right, that's a hard act to follow, but um, <laughs> those of you that um, are excited about that kind of um, energy, you can join Danny and me and a bunch of other men on Tuesday, no, Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. for Bible study, <laughs> and so it's as much fun, if not more fun, than that announcement, so... Um, I'm one of the elders at Life Community Church. My name is Daniel, um, and one of my roles as an elder is the treasurer. And just wanted to take this quick time to let you all know that um, God has been super faithful, um, as he always is um, to us. And um, over the last year where we budgeted out where we're going to spend money, we had money um, in the budget for the paint that you see on the walls. Um, we had some money in the budget and um, to carpet some take care of some stuff over in the children's area to make sure the kids are safe and um, comfortable as possible. And so um, it's very exciting and sometimes nerve-wracking as a treasurer to kind of see like each week when the, uh, or each month when we hit the budget, like just right on or we go over a little or we go under a little. Um, but God um, is been very faithful, and we just want to say thank you to our congregation for that, um, and that he... Um, that he is faithful and taking care of us, and you're a huge part of that, and we thank you for all of that. So I also have the privilege of reading um, our scripture this morning, and the first one that I'm going to read is in Matthew chapter 1, and it is verse 23. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And our next verse for today is in Acts chapter 27, and it is verses 20 through 25. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you, you all. God has granted you all, those who, sa who s sail with you. Has grant Sorry, I just messed that up. <laughs> um, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Daniel. And thanks, Danny, our friend with as much energy as I think I have. And then I always watch me on the film, and I'm like, wow, I thought I was like going crazy off the charts, and I got to turn it up a little bit. So Danny came with that idea, and I'm like, yes, I love it. I love the idea. No one's going to follow me, and I can't lead it. I can't sing. So we got a problem. He's like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. I'm like, good. I'll be there. Um, man, it's, it's an exciting time to be alive and to read God's word because just about any time you look out there, it's coming true. Prophecy, and, and as we look at this reality, 
of our lives. As we look at Jesus' birth, this promise that God made to send a Savior, and, and we see in Matthew 1.23, we've kind of landed on this verse and sat here for several weeks looking at God's promise that he initially made to Abram, Abraham, and Sarah E., who's Sarah, and how Jesus was the fulfillment. Jesus was the one they'd been waiting for, this king, this savior, the Messiah. And it turns out, behold, a virgin's gonna conceive as Isaiah prophesied and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This new beginning, this new work of God is what we've titled our series. As we've sat on this verse, looking at all the way back, the whole scriptures are pointing to Jesus. In Galatians 4, 4, we're reminded it's when the timing was right. You guys know as you're baking, making things right, you can't pull things out of the oven too soon. And if you think the oven's not hot, the buns are going to get burned, right? The bread is every time. It's like, oh, there's just a little more. And then boom, they're burnt. It's like, ah, oh, the perfect time, God said it. Everything's ready. Jesus is coming into the world. And we looked at last week, Matt did a great job of looking at the valleys, the seasons of our lives where we're in the valley. And, and it's so wonderful on the mountaintop where we seek God, but it's in the valleys where, we, where God seeks us. Matt mentioned that, and it, and it stuck with me and, and several others, that it's through the valleys where God is seeking you and, and empowering you and reminding you of his presence and his promise. It's the wilderness season where our deepest want and need really drives us to depend on him. We looked at that two weeks ago, and, and today we're looking at the storms of our lives, the difficult times that literally blow up out of nowhere. It's been interesting um, growing up in Atascadero and, and visiting different parts of the coast. You know, you have San Simeon where there's a chance of gale force winds um, that kick up, and, and not necessarily a storm. It's just windy, like randomly. In Templeton, we have this wind tunnel here, so we had a nice little easy-up um, out there that we advanced to this big carport tent, party tent, and it lasted, we screwed that sucker down to the concrete and the asphalt lasted a good year and a half until pre-storm breeze, this gentle, cute little, sweet little breeze came through and we were out there looking at some things, came inside, I walked outside and in disbelief, that had lifted and folded back on itself, snapping multiple legs. Like it, it didn't come out of the ground, it, the metal snapped. And then that cute little breeze came up again and ripped the tarp. And I'm just in awe. Like, I'm not even, I barely feel this breeze. And it reminded me, every time there's a storm, the wind and the waves and the rain, like surfing, the, the waves are great. I get to surf them. The rain's cool because there's water. It's the wind, though. The wind ruins the waves. The wind kicks up waves. The wind blows things over, blows trees over. We got this trampoline a couple years ago set up. It was great. And then all of a sudden that wind kicked up and the trampoline ended up almost in our neighbor's yard, like teetering on the fence. And I'm like, the wind did that? Yeah, the wind's terrifying. It's the storms. You think you prepare for it. You think you're ready for it. You can't. You don't know exactly when they're going to hit. Their best guess with all their little measurements and stuff, they kind of have had an idea, and I found out pretty quick that we're all a bunch of liars because on Surfline it says the swell is going to be six feet I get there and it's a foot or nothing. And I'm like, ah, oh, I wanted to surf. Think about on the East Coast, most of their surfing, most of their waves are generated from hurricanes. The, the wind out in the ocean kicks up these waves and, and they started naming these storms, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Andrew, that caused this catastrophic loss of life and damage. And it's interesting how, how these storms hit 
and they name them. And there's this moment in time when this event happened and there's horrible things occurred. And, and we do that in our lives too. And we don't quite name it as, as eccentric as those storms, but wouldn't it be interesting if, if we did? You know, it's like, oh man, sorry, I'm, I'm late for work. I had this burrito, you know, this, this like the, the death burrito, you know, Daryl hit me and it was just, oh, had the runs, you know, diarrhea, Daryl hit me and took me out. It's like, what? You name that? Or most common, you know, it's like, dude, dead battery Diana struck. Sorry, I'm late for my interview. That dead battery Diana, it just always gets me. No, you can't, you know, you had a bad burrito. You got food poisoning. You left your lights on. Like, that's not a storm. That was you making a mistake. In 1953 is when they started naming storms after girlfriends or wives. That, I don't know why they did that. It was like they had the location but they decided after girlfriends and wives, it's like, hey, Jenna, there's this Category 5 hurricane coming, catastrophic loss of life. Homes are going to be destroyed. I'm named it after you. Like, Jenna, this lot is horrible. And, and then in 1979, the men felt left out, and so there's equal rights for storms. They started naming storms after men as well in 1979. And the most destructive storm names, they would, they would retire those names because they didn't want it to bring up bad memories. Some of you are in a storm today storm of betrayal, a storm of, of divorce, and maybe the, the damage from that storm is just left and you, you don't know where to pick up the pieces, the storm of depression, and you don't know really when there's going to be a break in the clouds. Maybe there's a storm of addiction that, that just never seems to let up. Maybe you're in the storm of, of cancer, and when there's a storm, it's Normal, if not a knee-jerk reaction, to ask why did God allow this? Where is God? Is he caught by surprise, as I am? Why did he do nothing if he's all-knowing to stop this storm? And in the storm of all storms, when sin entered the world, and God made these promises to, to his people, the Jews, and, and they kept going through storms and valleys and wilderness, and, and the storm of all storms was sin. And God said, I'm going to take care of this storm. I'm going to take care of that problem, and I'm going to send Jesus. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And that prophecy was made by Isaiah when they were in a storm, but it wasn't just that storm. It was reminding us that there's always this storm of sin in our life that God came to save us from and out of. So the first point, and the main point really, is to not allow the presence of a storm, to not allow the storm's presence to cause you to doubt the presence of God, which is exactly what Satan and our flesh wants us to be distracted by, right? There's a storm, oh no, then, then there's no presence of God anymore. The presence of God is gone. We see in Acts 27, this amazing storm, this massive storm where the, the team, the crew on the ship is panicking. They're throwing cargo overboard, throwing pianos. And, and in my mind, I just think of Swiss Family Robinson. I grew up with the VHS in there and the massive storm. And then they, they shipwreck and, and they have a piano. And I, I was, you know, I grew up fishing on like Santa Margarita Lake with like my lures for trout. So I was always confused how, why they had a piano on the ship. Like that just didn't, like, that's weird. They love pianos. But you think about this, when you're in a storm and you're doing everything you can and in my mind, it's futile. Like, really, a piano, that's what's going to make the deciding factor if you live or die in the storm. Like, throwing the piano over is going to save you. But they're throwing stuff over. They're freaking out. 
And this was such a devastating storm and it lasted so long. In verse 20, it says, the sun or stars didn't appear for many days and no small tempest lay on us and all hope of our being saved was abandoned. They gave up all hope. Maybe that's where you're at in your storm or you've been in a storm where this, this all hope ceases and all of a sudden you start saying words like never and always. Our marriage is never gonna make it. I'm never gonna get married. I'm always gonna be single. I'm always alone. I'm never gonna get out of debt. I'm never gonna have a child. I'm never gonna graduate. I'm never happy because I'm always depressed. And the never and always creeps in and, and you're in a storm and there's no break in the clouds. There's no star. There's no sun. It's, it's literally, there's, there's really no hope. And the storm continues to rage in verse 21 says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. And as spiritual as Paul was, he wasn't above pointing out the fact that he was right. I mean, we all do, right? When we're right, it's like, hey guys, I just want to take this time. I know we're hungry. We haven't eaten for days. Uh, remember back when we were about to set sail? I know I'm the prisoner and you're the, you're the prison guards, but I was right. I just said, just for the record, you know, before the ship goes down, I want to remind you all, I was right, okay? Just got to make sure. And we know Paul. He was pretty ornery. He, he likes to brag. Hey, I was the most learned. I learned everything. Even when he's like, came to Christ later, he didn't go, hey, Peter and James, they taught me. No, he, I learned this from Jesus, okay? None of you disciples, like, we're all learning from Jesus. And so he, he says, I just want you all to be aware should have listened to me, we wouldn't have been here if you listened to me. And it's interesting because we, we do the similar thing. We, we don't want to own it. We don't want to take responsibility. We want to blame everything on the devil. The devil made me do it. The devil caused this storm. The devil made my battery die. No, you just made a bad decision. It's actually taking ownership. And there's that tension where there's a spiritual battle we need to be aware of, but there's also our own just dumb decisions. You know, mama told you not to date him. Your best friend said, don't do it, gave you warnings. Your pastor said, let's seek wisdom and prayer and wait. And, and yet you came back and said, no, he has potential. But he has potential. Yeah, he has a potential to ruin your life. And maybe this is one of the reasons they gave up hope. They were in the storm because of the decisions that they made. You've made decisions that have put you in a storm. You've put you in a place where you're reeling in the consequences. And it's interesting because, you know, I, I thought about going with the storm where, where Jesus tells the disciples to get in the boat and they go in the storm. And you guys got to Google it later. But the Golan Heights, you can get lost in the topography and geography of the land where the Sea of Galilee is. And, and it's this massive cliff of a plateau that just drops down into the Golan Heights and creates this perfect storm where, where the wind drops in and kicks up these massive waves. And I remember when I was there on this boat, massive boat with all these tourists, so they wanted to obviously keep us alive, they could get paid. But I was like, this, this breeze could go bad really quickly and this big boat would be nothing on this giant sea and, and, the, and the amazing waves and wind that could get kicked up like that. But the interest. The interesting thing is when, when Jesus tells them to get in the boat, they're in the storm because of him. But here, they're in the storm because of their own decisions. And for me, I know it's easy to believe 
that God will get me out of a storm if God allows me in the storm or God directs me in the storm. But when I get myself into the storm, it's a lot more difficult to go to the God and say, hey, I made these five, 10. Okay, I made 100 bad decisions and now I'm in the storm. You wanna bail me out? Like, can I get a free pass? And I've learned. I've learned that God's mercies are new every morning and his grace is sufficient. That's why he came. He didn't come because he's awesome and powerful and should, should get more praise. He already is awesome and powerful and he's getting all the praise in heaven. But he saw us making that hundredth and one bad decision and going back into a storm. And he's like, I gotta save them. I gotta go and remind them whose they are and who they are. And for some of the crew on the boat, it wasn't their fault, right? They showed up for work. They weren't in that conversation. So they're like, wait, Paul told you all not to go? What are you guys doing? Oh, it's Paul. We should have listened to him. He's like, I would have I stood up for you, Paul, if I was there in that conversation. They showed up to work. Maybe they were late. You know, their kids were sick. They're in the ER late in the morning. They got up, missed the alarm, ran in. They ran on the boat. All right, where are we going? Okay. Are you sure we should go, Captain? Okay, Captain's orders. And they sailed off. They didn't know, there was a, they didn't know this was a conversation. They, they were just guilty by association. Maybe you're in the storm because you, you made decisions to spend too much money. Maybe you're in the storm because you, you mouthed off at work and now your boss doesn't look like it's gonna be good for you. Maybe you, you weren't considerate. Maybe that project or that job, it was procrastinated. You didn't call that client back or you didn't follow up on a lead and now you're, oh, that's a big sale I needed to make or a big thing I needed to have wrap up this year. Maybe you didn't listen and you, and you dated someone and now, now there's hurt and there's pain and you're wishing you could go back. And, but the interesting thing is some of the crew might not have wanted to go and now they're in the middle of the storm because of someone else's decisions. How many of you be, have been in that storm or a storm because of someone else? And this is kind of awkward maybe for you, so be careful here, but maybe you're sitting next to that person that made those bad decisions and got you into the storm. You know, bad company makes bad decisions and the company goes under, now you're out of a job. You trusted somebody and, and they betrayed your trust and now there's hurt and there's pain, not because of what you did, but because of somebody else. And here, Paul stands up and in verse 22 and 23, he says, yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Verse 23, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. This isn't some super spiritual fancy. This is anyone who believes belongs to God and his angels are sent concerning you. An angel stands up beside me. It's interesting as, as God is in the storm with you and in more ways than you can imagine, he's there protecting, guiding, comforting. And Paul sa says, look, there's, there's an angel that appeared. His spirit of God, the spirit of God is in us. And it's interesting, God shows up and says, look, you're gonna survive. And, and everyone with you is gonna survive. God heard the prayers, he heard the crying, and he came and comforted. So we need to never let the presence of the storm cause us to doubt the presence of God. God's always with us. He's always there to comfort and guide us. And another area where, where Paul was defeated and, and really discouraged, 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 17, verse 
17, after verse 16, he says, look, in my defense, no one came to stand by me. I was all alone, all deserted. May it not be charged against them that deserted me. In verse 17, he says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And again, in Psalm 16, verse 8, David writes, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. As I was thinking about Paul and and David, they were trying to do what God told them to do, and it was hard. And and sometimes, in David's case, he created his own storm. And Paul, he's just trying to go preach the gospel, and there's enough storms out there. He doesn't need to add to it. And as interestingly as it is, Jesus, when he left, he said, go and preach the gospel. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, And he said at the beginning of that, I have all the authority, now go do it. And at the end of it, he says, I'm always with you, even to the end of the age. And we we take that and we go, God has all authority, he's with me, but are we doing the discipleship? Are we doing the evangelism in the the middle, where that's what he told us to do? The church is known when we go and we're known by our love. The church isn't known by our Bible studies and our church attendance. But so much focus is on the latter, and we don't realize, oh, Jesus said go, And then it's in the going there's a storm for Paul. It's in the going the storm hits the disciples. But we forget it's in the storm the presence of God is most near. And the presence of God is most dear and important. But if we're not going and sharing the gospel, then the presence of God is is not necessary. It's disregarded. And so every time we come to Christmas and it's like, oh, I got to undo a lot of this other stuff because it's all about me and what I want. Talking to my kids, it's like, yeah, Christmas was kind of cool, but I didn't get everything on my list. It's like, that was the first gift exchange. Like, what do you, yeah, you think you're just going to get all your presents? Like the first time we do gift, we have a bunch of family, friends, but we do that. We're like, well, I mean, today was okay, Lord, but I mean, I'm still kind of in debt. Like, yeah, no, for sure. Like that paycheck was cool. I got to pay off half my, but I'm still halfway in debt though, Lord, come on. It's like, what? No, I know. I mean, I talked to someone about Jesus, but they didn't accept Christ right away. It's like, yeah, I didn't say they would. I said to go make disciples of the whole nation, like the whole world, all the nations. When we share stories about missionaries, they're struggling or, or martyred. It's, sometimes we put it off. And I remember this story years ago. I heard these, this couple was surrounded by this tribe they were trying to reach. And, and then they got on their knees and prayed for God's protection. And early into the morning, late into the, the evening, you know, about two or three, they left. And, and years later, which for many of us, that next morning, we're on the next boat or plane home. We're like, hey, God didn't want me there. It didn't work out. But they stayed year after year and, and preached the gospel and lived among them and served them. And finally, the chief comes to know Jesus as a savior and the first conversation they have after that is, hey, chief, remember those years ago we were at the, in the house and you circled us, you're trying to kill, you know, arrows were coming in the windows, spears were hitting the door, you try to kill us, like, you stopped though, why, why did you stop? And he said, well, you know, late into the evening, all these soldiers came and surrounded your house and they had shields and they're big and they had their sword drawn, so we, we were no match for them, so we left, like, obviously, and the missionary said, that didn't, we don't have reinforcements. Like, we don't have soldiers. We, we were just, me and my wife. And the chief's like, no, there were soldiers there, and there were shields, there were swords. We weren't going to attack them. And, and the, the missionary was, 
they went back and forth for a while because he's like us. He's like, that didn't happen. The chief's like, it happened. He's like, no, it didn't. Chief's like, yes, it did. So finally the missionary was like, oh, okay, Lord, you, you did that. Like, that was the angels of the Lord. And the chief was like, yeah, that makes sense. But why do we think that's crazy? Why? Why don't we like, yes, Paul's like in a boat. Hey, this angel showed up to me and reminded me whose I am. I forgot whose I am. I was more concerned about what I said being true rather than, hey, I'm of the Lord. I'm the Lord's possession. Whose am I? And I want us to think here as as we pivot a little bit, those missionaries were like, hey, Lord, we're yours, and we're here trying to tell them about you, which Jesus told us to do. So we're doing what you told us to do. You said you have the authority, and you promised you're always with us, never going to leave us or forsake us. And the angels showed up. It makes sense. So we should not allow, so don't allow the presence of a storm to cause you to doubt God's plan, but trust his powerful word. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not God's will. So much of what I grew up hearing was, okay, this college or that college, or this job or that job, well, what's easier and what makes the most sense? We'll do that, and if it's hard and difficult, probably, it's probably not God's will. He knew it was hard. He gave us the job of telling the entire world about him, and then not just disciple, but then teaching them to obey. That's a, lot, that's a hard, I'm not really doing 100% on obedience myself, so how am I going to teach someone else to, to you know, More is caught than taught. So that means I need to be living that way first before I can really teach it. And so if I'm loving like Christ, that's going to be really hard because I don't want to love like Christ. So I need need God to change me first and then I need to love like him in a way that I could serve others and teach them to. And he knew it would be hard to fulfill his purpose. That's why he promised he'd never leave us or forsake us. That's why he sent his spirit in us to empower us and it's all about who is with you. It's all about who's with you on the boat. Matthew and Mark, Jesus was asleep on the boat. And they were afraid because they forgot who was with them on the boat. They were like, I can't paddle my way out of this one. Neither can I, John. Let's go. And then they're like, I'm tired. I'm done. Oh, Jesus, wake him up. He's our last hope. That should have been the first thing. It's like, uh-oh, wind waves. Hey, Jesus, we need you, this one. You remember that whole like sight to blind and lame to walking kind of, you think you'd do that with the wind and the waves because it's getting intense. Why did it take them so long? Because when we're in storms, we think we can muscle our way through it. We can batten down the hatches. We can hold the reins. We can steady the rudder. I'm going to make our way. We'll throw the piano overboard. That'll save us. It's like, oh man, I'm going to not sin this time. Really? Have you read the Bible? God tells you to stop sacrificing. He tells you to stop doing religious stuff. Stop singing songs. He never told us to gather and, and wear these clothes or sing these songs or preach this way. He said, go and make disciples, which means go and, and love and sacrifice and serve for them, not to him. God doesn't need your sacrifice. He's like, guys, no, stop. You're singing and your sacrifices, it's all wrong because you're doing it to make fun of or make yourself look better than your neighbor which you're supposed to go over to your neighbor and tell them of my love and take care of them or, or serve them or help them. The problem is you don't even know your neighbor, so you can't start, like, stop sacrificing because it's, it's not that the peace is found in the absence of a storm, but the peace is found in the presence of Jesus. So when Jesus is near us, then we can go and love like him and care for those. And it's interesting because here... 
God is clear with Paul about his plan. He says, for this very night, in verse 23, there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. So whose are you? Because if you know whose you are, then you know who you are. And the world is telling you, you can become anything you want. I knew that was a lie when I was in fifth grade. I failed my math test. I cannot be a mathematician. I cannot be an engineer. I can't do this. And the world is saying I can. It's like, no. Now it's like, hey, any gender you want, any degree, anything. No, no, no. That's the world's confusion and lies. And God says, whose are you? I've come to set you free from sin. I've come that you're my son and you're my daughter. And here's your inheritance. Here's my plan for you. Here's how I'm going to love you. And that love's going to flow through you to others. Whose are you? And Paul's like, hey, I forgot. I remember whose I am. And the God who I serve sent his angel to remind me, this ship's going down, but we're going to live. And it's here, verse 24. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul. You have a court date. You have to stand before Caesar. And behold, God's granted you all those who sail with you. He's like, hey, guys, I'm going to show up at court. I have a court date, and God's going to make sure I'm there because then the Roman guards who were with them wouldn't die, right? If their prisoner was escaped, they would die. So they get to live. He's going to show up at court. And Paul's like, it's great. I'm going to make my court date. Which how many of you would be that excited, right? It's like, yes, God's going to save me so I can go be tried. But the purpose was to preach the gospel. The purpose was to make disciples. The purpose was to always say, whose am I? I am don't want to go to court, but I'm God's. I'm his messenger. So I'm going to the highest of highest authorities to preach the gospel to remind them that it's actually God who's in authority. Like that was his aim. That was his mission. And so God reminded him, this is the plan. This is the purpose. I have the power to sustain life and get you and deliver you to accomplish the purpose I've set before you. You can't go down this boat. You got to stand trial. I'm not finished with you yet. And you have more people to bless and preach the gospel to and sing carols to in front of Target. There's more opportunities for you to point to Christ, not you. Whose are you? Whose are you? Because once you know whose you are, then you know who you are. You're a son and daughter of the king if you're God's, if he saved you. God will use what you learn in this storm to not doubt God's presence And God will use what you learn in this storm to help others not doubt God's presence through their storms. So what you learn, you've survived cancer. So you can help others fix their mind on God as they fight cancer in hopes that they survive. You've overcome unfaithfulness in your marriage and you can walk another couple through forgiveness and focusing on God and loving each other as Christ loved us and God in Christ loved us. You climbed out of debt and you paid off a crazy amount and you can tell others, hey, it's possible. Just stop spending all your money. Start saving. Start being disciplined and you can do it. It's possible. You're 227 days sober and you can come alongside someone and say, look, Jesus will set you free. It's not your own power. You're right. You can't do it, but God will do it through you. And I'm here to encourage you and walk alongside you. I've been in that storm. Acts 27, 25. So take heart, men, For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. It's trusting in God's word. Every year we look at this and culture says this about trees or dates. And it's like, look, Jesus was promised back in Isaiah to come and be born of a virgin. And and here, this prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. And so this year, are we focused on what, what they say is 
the reason for the season. Jesus didn't come for Jesus. He came for the world that was in sin. So the reason that Jesus came was actually for you and me. And as we know the reason, as the Jews had the calling to go to the world and be the world to be blessed through them, I get excited, but I also my heart breaks because I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm adopted into that family. I have the same calling. I've been blessed to be a blessing. Breaks my heart because so much I look at the blessing and I go, wow, thanks, God, this is awesome. And I know exactly on a small scale what the Jews felt. They're like, wait, I'm going to walk into a farm I didn't plow and all, all the fruit is mine now? Why would I go tell the heathens about God? This is my God and this is my harvest he gave me. We feel the same and we have the same te- temptation because we put our faith in what we see instead of putting faith in what we don't see and putting faith in what God says. It's hard. Faith is not to be put in the boat, but it's to be put in the one who commands the wind and the waves. Our faith has to be in the one who has our days planned because we can't control our situation. We can't control what, when the storm starts or when the storm ends. We can't control what people say or what people think, but we can control who we listen to. And are they saying who we are? Because no doubt Paul was discouraged. He was confused. What's going on? Why are we here? Why is the storm? Oh, whose am I? I'm the Lord's. And I'm accomplishing his mission for his purpose and his glory. We can control who we listen to and what we say. So where are we placing our faith? 